Well, this morning, I have the good pleasure of of sharing after being on uh, vacation uh, uh, last weekend. Pastor Carl did an incredible job. So good. So good. And all the kids, were they just not amazing? And kids camp was just, I mean, off the charts. It was all so, uh, so wonderful. Um, But, you know, uh, I just, don't you just love God? You know, the world calls moments like this moment that we're standing in as a church, coincidence. I don't really believe in coincidence. I believe in prophetic, like God-appointed moments. So isn't it something that on the weekend that Roe versus Wade gets overturned to the glory of God... And the world begins to go nuts and say, well, you better minister to orphans. We launch a camp for foster kids and orphans. That's the kind of stuff you just can't make up. It makes me smile. So happy that God argues for us when we follow him. Man, I, I'm, I'm actually, uh, I really want to encourage you uh, to celebrate this decision. Listen to me. You should celebrate the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Yes. For 50 years, it was the, it's one of the greatest genocides the world has ever seen. Do you understand? The millions, the millions of babies who are not on this planet because of that. And listen, I, you may have a different opinion. That's, I, it's okay that you have that different opinion, but I, I want to tell you, don't rob us of a moment of celebrating life. Amen. Celebrating life. And listen, you, you say, well, I'm not sure we should, maybe we should have a tepid response. Do you think the world was tepid when Germany was overturned? And the extermination of Jews ended. I think we should then celebrate, and by the way, minister to the Jews. Hello? This is so good. So on this day, on this weekend, here's what we need to learn as a church. We need to learn the heart of the Father. Because as, as the church gets, gets catapulted onto the world stage as ones who have been praying for decades, I posted a picture from 10 years ago where my family and I and others from our student ministry were standing in, in what used to be the Ocala Abortion Clinic, the only Ocala Abortion Clinic. And there we were not to shout and we weren't there to, to shout at the women or do that. We simply stood there with life tape and our protest was prayer. And our prayer that day was this, God, would you please overturn Roe versus Wade? Now, here's the good news. That very clinic all those years ago that was an abortion clinic, you know what it is today? A crisis pregnancy center. There are no abortions going on in that place anymore. 
And for us to know that it was 10 years ago that we were standing and believing and praying and all those years, man, we should celebrate that this is answered to prayer. But listen, the work isn't done. It's only begun. It's only begun. Because listen, we, we have a, a role to play. And really, the Bible, listen, the Bible gives us the framework of biblical understanding of that role. It's God's word and God's instruction and God's heart that rises to the surface and the wisdom of God comes into full view. Now, by the way, we're coming to an age where reason is not valued. Reason's not valued. Dots don't have to connect for people anymore. They just want what they want based upon what they feel. So there must be something more coming from the church than just a good reasoned argument, which I'm all for. We must begin to operate in the spirit and power of God, which flows, listen to me, from knowing the heart of the Father. Now, today I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 15. And quite possibly, when you turn to Luke chapter 15, you're going to think that I'm about to tell you a story that it's about a son. But I want us to look at this very familiar story, by the way, called by many people the prodigal son. And I've said this often from the pulpit here. I think it's terrible that we name this story the prodigal son. I think that's a terrible name of it. I think the name should be the redeemed heir. If you know this story, I think that's what the name is. I think for years the church has been consistently labeling people by their failures instead of the finished work that Christ brings into their life. Aren't you thankful you're not who you used to be? Aren't you thankful that you're no longer carrying the labels of the things that you did when you were before Christ? Not now. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. I have a righteousness which is not my own. I am right before God with a righteousness that comes from Christ. Glory to God. Oh, my failure isn't the end of the story, and that's why I don't like calling this the prodigal son, but I'll... I'll use that title because it's the one familiar to everybody. But I don't want you to look at this story today only from a son's perspective. I actually want us to kind of step back from the common view of this story, which is usually either from the younger son or the older son. And let's take a moment and, and really begin to look at the heart of the father you say, why should we look at the heart of the Father? Because in this story, the Father represents God. So do you. In this story, this moment in history, you represent God as the body of Christ to the world. So it could be that in this moment, we need to learn something about the heart of the Father. Let's read this together. Luke 15, 11 says this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, uh, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and it began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. 
And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and, and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your, bro your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, but, uh, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This is so good. This is so good. Now today, as we stand on the edge of launching this, this camp, I believe we as a church need to learn how to father and we can, I believe, learn a great lesson from the Father. But in order to know the heart of, the, of Father God, we need to look at the condition of the Son. You have to look at it. And perhaps here, this is, this is the part that you really identify with because, man, that story sounds a lot like your story. And it really... Sounds a lot like my story before Christ. Notice this. The son destroyed relationships. He destroyed his relationships. Uh, Luke 15, 11 says, it says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of good that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. When he said, give me my inheritance, what this younger son was saying to his dad is, I wish you were dead. Now, this is a Jewish family. So here's what this means. This father would take two-thirds of his livelihood and give it to his older son because the older son bears the responsibility of, of, of taking care of all of the family. And the younger son really only had the responsibility of taking care of himself. So there would be a double portion given to the older son and the younger son, he is given literally a third in this as an inheritance. But here's how he got it. Dad, I wish you were dead. I believe that many of us may, may uh, 
Maybe not out loud, but with our lives. There were some times when we said, God, I wish you weren't there. I think I know how to live my life on my terms. And I think God in his grace many times just said to us, sure, you could have that. And when you see that this is what the son was doing, this son was breaking relationships, the most important relationship that you, that you can have between a son and a father, you can then more clearly see what happened between humanity and God. And our broken relationship with God was not God's fault. It's ours. Humanity bears that responsibility. Romans 5.12 says, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. We have to admit our own contributions to our own brokenness. Listen, today, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Blame will keep you bound, but the truth will set you free. It's time that we stop shaking our fist at heaven and say, God, why have you done this? And we begin to realize it could be that we've had a part to play in destroying the relationship that we were really meant for. Notice what this son also did. He what? He wasted his resources. It says, and not many days later, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions on prodigal living. Oh man, if you could ever take hold of this wisdom. The flesh has an inaccurate imagination. Your flesh has an inaccurate imagination. Have you ever dreamed about owning something? And you thought, oh, if I just had that boat. Oh, if I just had it. And then you got it. And just like everybody told you, boats are a hole in the water you throw money into. Perhaps you got the, you got the, you got the car, you got the house, and when you got it, all your flesh was imagining what your life would be like with those things. But when you got there, it wasn't what you were dreaming it up to be. You thought to yourself, golly, that guy is hot. If I could just be in a relationship with him. And then you got there. Don't elbow him if he's still sitting by you, okay? (laughs) You're like, my flesh, what is wrong with me? It has an inaccurate, your flesh has an inaccurate imagination. That's why Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right unto man, but what does it say? Its end is death. You see, we cannot allow our flesh, a flesh-driven imagination to lead us. Why? Because we'll end up wasting our resources. We'll waste our lives. We'll end up in places that we never intended to to be. And when you've lived that flesh-led life, then suddenly 
you will be forced to do what the son did next, which is betray his beliefs. When things don't deliver and bring you that kind of satisfaction, you will be forced to betray who you really are. You see Luke 15, 14, it says, but when he had spent all and there arose a severe famine in the land, he began to be in want and Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. You say, well, what's the big deal? He became a pig farmer. Really big deal for a Jew. (laughs) Really big deal. Because in order for him to become a pig farmer, he had to totally betray who he was. Because a Jewish person was not supposed to even touch a pig. Don't go near it. It's unclean. It represented an interruption in your worship of God. He had to betray who he really was. And his search for satisfaction led him to betray his beliefs. Have you ever done something in your life that actually betrays what you really believe? Come on, I'm the only one raising my hand. I guess I'm the only one really willing to confess that I've done some things that did not reflect what I think, what I believe either about God or about myself. I have done some things. But aren't you glad for grace? Aren't you glad for undeserved favor from God? You say, what does grace look like in this passage? But when he came to himself, Lord have mercy. You see, at one moment he was betraying his belief, but then he came to himself. He actually realized who he really was. And that what he was doing, being led by his flesh and betraying his beliefs, was actually not who he was created to be. And so, grace shows up. And he came to his senses and he just had this moment where he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough? despair and I perish in hunger. He said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer to be worthy, worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He's practicing his speech. And it's at this point in the story that the real heart of the father shows up. And church, we have some lessons to learn from the heart of the Father. And those of you who are here who say, you're describing my life right now in this son, listen closely to hear the heart of God toward you today. Luke 15, 20 says, he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the the son 
said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father interrupted and said, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be married for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be married. What can we learn about the father? What can we learn about God's perspective toward us and church? Listen, what our perspective should be to the world who is apart from God. First, the Father is watching and waiting. The Father is watching and waiting. He says, He arose and came to the Father, but when He was still a great way off, His Father saw Him. And if you're away from God today, he is watching and awaiting your return. He is watching. And listen, all you have to do today, if you're away from God, it's just time to turn and make your way back home. And I love this about God. You don't have to work your way back to his house before he sees you. Why? Because he's waiting and watching. And I wonder, church, if we can't learn something about the Father. Instead of seeing those who have turned their back on the church or turned their back on, uh, on, on biblical ideas to embrace cultural ideas, and we just cross our arms and we turn our backs on them, I wonder if we in the church shouldn't be watching and waiting, praying and looking, and when we see people be beginning to turn, they would know that they are seen from a long way off. I want to tell you, there's some foster kids who this week are going to find out God saw them a long way off and put something into motion, at least here 11 months ago and years ago into motion in bringing our camp directors here and, and really, and other people from the team. It was amazing, all of the people who were already assembled in the house who could bring everything together the way that it needed to be brought together. He was watching and he was waiting. And we as the church must be looking for open doors for those who are away from God. The next thing is, this is so good. It says the father saw him, but then he what? The father had compassion on him. The father had compassion. I love this. Why? Because this story is, an ex is exempt from a very satisfying statement. I told you so. See, this story says that he saw him and he had compassion on him. Do you know what compassion means? It, it doesn't just mean, oh, he kind of felt bad. No, no, no. It means he saw him in his suffering and chose to align himself and come alongside him in his suffering. That's what compassion means. It means to come alongside of the suffering to help. The Father today, listen to me, is moved by your suffering. 
Some of you are facing things. You're going, God, I need your hand in my life. I need you to work in my life. I need, I need a move of God. God sees you in your suffering, and he doesn't just see you in your suffering. He says, I'm coming to you in compassion, and I'm going to come alongside of you. And we as a church must come alongside the broken and the neglected in our community. Can I just tell you? It will be compassionate moments that precede teaching moments. I know the temptation for all of us when when somebody goes and wastes all the potential in their life and now they're limping back home is to stand there in a bit of arrogance thinking to yourself, I wish you had just listened to me. But God here says, you need to know the heart of the Father. And the Father says, I see you, and I see you in your suffering right now. I'm going to come alongside of your suffering and have compassion. Will there be teaching moments in the house? You bet there will be. Because wisdom comes with God. But I promise you, moments of compassion will usually precede moments of teaching. How appropriate is it for us to learn that lesson right now? That there may be people who are hurting right now. Who as as they see Roe versus Wade uh, you know, overturned, they may be hurting because they have a completely different worldview. Instead of just crossing your arms and saying, change your mind, why don't you walk with somebody and say, hey, tell me about what you're going through. Tell me about what you're feeling. I want to enter into this moment. And let me share with you how God spoke to me and gave me insight in this area. It's time that we live this way. I love this too. The Father moves toward humility. As soon as that son exhibits humility and says, I'm turning back, what does the father do? He runs. You say, is that a big deal? Running? You bet it is. In that culture, very patriarchal, everything is really surrounding dad. You celebrate dad, you serve dad. That is the way that the family structure was really built. Everything was celebrating him. A father didn't run. He had people running for him. And yet in this moment, when he sees the turning of a son, he runs. Listen to me today. If you feel the drawing power of God turning you back to Christ or turn, drawing you to the place where you think, I need to go and surrender to God, here's what you can expect. God will run to you. He will run to you. Now, in order for this father to run, he was probably not wearing khakis. May have been khaki. But he would have had to reach down and pull his garment up and tuck it in his belt. Common Middle Eastern dress. He would have never been able to run. 
unless he pulled up his garment and exposed his legs. Like most of you did on Easter, by the way. I saw more legs on Easter Sunday. It almost inspired me. I'm like, I think next Easter is going to be all shorts Easter in Florida. I'm not there yet. My, my wife is still dressing me. Even my kids buying me shoes. They're like, Dad, those shoes are so drippy. I'm like, wipe it off. I don't know. They bought them for me and said, Dad, you have to wear those. Okay. And so what do, we, what do we learn? We learn that God runs to us when we turn in humility. He's not running away from you today. He's running towards you. Believers, this ought to make you feel really good, but this is actually not something that he does only once. It's something that he does often. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now he's giving you a picture of what it looks like when God draws near to you. He's not walking He's running towards you. That's why when you worship, you will. You come in here, some of you like to watch exuberant worshipers. You're like, man, that's so good for them. <laughs> Do you know why we worship the way we worship? Because our Father came running. And if you ever realize that your Father comes running when you worship, boy, it'll change the way you worship. I love what this dad did. This dad, in this picture, he says, listen, I am going to break the cultural norms to get to my son. I'll go even farther. When the father was running to the son, he was running to conflict. Because the father knew. As soon as I run with compassion to restore this younger son, I've got a conflict brewing back at home. And listen, the conflict doesn't keep God from running into the problem. Church, the conflict of this hour should not keep us from running into the problems this world is facing. We need to run and say, God, you'll give us grace to deal with the conflict when you're helping me to deal with the open door that you put right before me. I'm going to do what the Father did. I'm going to move toward humility and I'm going to tell you, as a church, we're not running away from conflict. I expect that this week, these kids from kindergarten through fifth grade, some of them will probably cuss at us more than the time we did outreach at the VFW. <laughs> some will bite, will spit, will kick will fight, will flee because of the neglect, the abuse, the abandonment. But I'm here to tell you, 
that we're not running away from the conflict. We're running into it. Why? Because that's what the father does. He says, I don't care what anybody else thinks about me. I don't care about the opinions of man. I don't care whether or not you think it's worth it. I don't care about my, my, uh, my reputation in the community as a business owner. I am going to run into the problems of this world and I am going to bring compassion and mercy and grace from God through Christ. The father moves toward humility. And I love this. He's not distant emotionally. He wants to be near you to express his love toward you. Regardless of your condition, listen to me. He wants to be near you regardless of your condition today. In other words, he's not saying shower first. Do you understand that it's in this story when this father goes and touches that unclean son he immediately becomes unclean and can't enter into worship. Except he's a picture of Jesus. And Jesus comes as Messiah. And when he touches the unclean, they become clean. And I love this. The father is not distant emotionally. He runs to him in his condition. And what's he do? He kisses him on his neck. I imagine the smell of swine must have still been there. The sweat of the road. The rot of the food that was fed to the pigs. Still there. And this father said, it's not going to keep me from you. I don't know what you found yourself in today. What kind of situation, what kind of filth, what kind of, what kind of brokenness, what kind of addiction, what kind of sin. But here's what I want to tell you. God says, he's not saying shower first. He's saying, I'm coming close and I want to love you. I want to change you. The last thing that we can learn about the father is this is he restores to original intent notice what the father said he said bring the robe put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet those three things mean something you see when he put the robe on him he says God was saying I'm going to restore your covering you see in the Bible a robe is listed in the Old Testament as a robe of righteousness so when he says, I'm going to give you your covering back, he's saying, I'm going to give you a righteousness that doesn't belong to you. I'm going to be your covering. This has always been my original intent for you is to cover you, to forgive you, to sustain you, to, so that when people see you, they see me. He, re he, he restores them in righteousness, and then he gives him a ring of all things. You see, when he restores to original intent, he restores authority. We were singing about it a little bit earlier today. You see, that ring would have bared the mark of the family. And if, if there were ever uh, an official uh, covenant made, they would take the ring and press it into wax. And it would bear the family seal. 
And what you need to know in that moment is that God restored authority as a son or a daughter. He said, now I'm not only going to give you a righteousness, he says, you're going to represent me again. No matter the road you've been on, if you've come back home, I'm covering you and I'm restoring you and I will use your life as you bear my name. And then I love this. He gives them sandals. Now for... We're from Florida. Some of you are wearing sandals today. You're like, why is that important in this story that God would give sandals back? Because sandals in that day were used in covenant. You read the Old Testament, you find some weird things going on sometime. There were a covenant struck between Boaz when he was redeeming Ruth. And there in that moment... When he made the covenant and the deal was struck, he took off his shoe and they put it under the thigh. So the sandal is a sign of covenant, that God is making a deal, that we're coming into agreement with him. And by the way, when God brings us in the covenant, it's not because we have something to give, it's he has everything to give. So when he puts those shoes on, he's saying, I'm bringing you back in the covenant. I know some of you think, that's so bizarre. I bet if, if you brought somebody from thousands of years ago into a lawyer's office and you presented you know, 25 pages of initial here, sign here, initial here, and sign here, they would say, that is so strange. Why don't you just take off your shoe? It's way cheaper. I think we should go back to the shoe. Can I just say, whether you're the son or you're walking in the shoes of your father, it's a party when somebody returns. It's a party when someone returns. Maybe you've always been faithful to the Lord. God has a good word for you. I've always been with you, and everything I have is yours. Glory to God. But I want to tell you here today, if you feel like that son who's in need of redemption, there's a God who loves you. And if you're that one here that says, God, I want to make a difference in my world, then we need not only to learn how to be a son, but to take our father's heart and say, God, help me to carry your heart to the world you so desperately love.